writing this, that um, someone would be belong in the house, they wouldn't own the house, they wouldn't own the possessions, but they would manage the affairs of the house. And so you and I, from creation, because God is the creator, are designed not to be these possessors and owners, but to be stewards of the things that have been brought into our possession to make the most of them. Principle number two is this. You and I will be, will be poor stewards. We won't steward well if we seek to get from the things that God has asked us to steward, the things that God is supposed to give us. What I mean by that, that was a choppy sentence. We become poor stewards when we seek to get from the gifts what we're really supposed to get from God. Things like meaning, purpose, identity, worth, value. When you go to the gifts, whether it's your time, your money. Tonight we're going to talk about our spiritual gifts, uh, our talents and our abilities. When you go to those things that are finite resources and say, I want these things to give me identity, meaning, value, purpose, and worth, you will then steward those things in a very poor fashion. You'll probably consume them, use them too much, not use them enough. And so you will just all all together become a poor steward if you ask God's gifts to be God to you. That's what the Bible calls idolatry. And so tonight, we're going to talk about a gift from God that comes to Christians uh, specifically. What we're talking about is our spiritual gifts. Now, um, in our fellowship, the word the, the spiritual gifts is not necessarily a common topic. Uh, maybe I should say it this way. It's not common terminology uh, when we talk about spiritual gifts. Usually we, we use the word like talents or abilities. But I'm using the word gift because that's the word that Peter uses here in his text. And... Um, he has some information for us to think about. There's four things we're going to learn from our text, hopefully, and then we'll make some sense of how you and I can be good stewards of the gifts that God has given us in this life. Number one, we're going to learn how to discover what gifts really are. We're going to talk about what gifts really are. We're going to see how they're distributed. How does God give those gifts? We're going to see how we develop our gifts. And then finally, I want to make a couple really important distinctions, uh, what gifts are and what gifts are not. So let's start with Discovering, You see, Peter said in 1 Peter 4.10, we're going to be just writing that text, really, as each one has received a, a gift, and he's specific about this word gift. And the question then is, what is a gift? Gift, in, in my language, is a generic term to describe something that is specific inside of a box or a bag. So when I say a gift, it could be a lot of different things. Some of you may immediately think of uh, the teaching that has to do with miraculous abilities that were possessed by um, believers in the first century. Um, And that most certainly is understood to be a gift we see in the New Testament. That's true. But that's a little bit too specific to even start with. The word gift here that Peter uses that's actually used all through the New Testament when it talks about gifts, whether miraculous in ability or common, you know, they, they don't break the laws of nature gifts. The word gift is the exact same word as the word grace, charos. It's where we get the word charismatic to be. Um, It's the same word. So if you were going to say we are saved by grace, saved by charos, that's the same word as Peter is saying when he says everyone has received a gift, gift and grace. But there are times in Scripture when this word charos is used in the context of what the Christians have received for the purpose of serving. And so the, the Bible will translate it as the word gift. So you've been given grace, not just this um, sort of nebulous term that means saved by God, but you've actually been given things 
freely from God. And the word grace is used there to describe the fact that you and I have been freely given this by God. You and I didn't go out and hone this and grind it and work it and earn it. It's been given to us. The best definition I can give you for a spiritual gift is this. A spiritual gift is an ability that comes to us freely. That's why it's called a gift. For the purpose of ministering to needs of Christians and non-Christians for the sake of building up the kingdom of God. So gifts, whether they were in the first century, miraculous, we'll talk about in a moment, or just common gifts are spiritual abilities that have come to us freely for the purpose of ministering to the needs of Christians and non-Christians so that you and I can be people participating in building up God's kingdom. Gifts are a vehicle for God's grace to reach the world. That's why the, the word grace is used. And as we have said, every believer, uh, over and over we've been talking about this in our Sunday morning class and some other places, that we believe here that every believer has gifts and is to be called into ministry. No one is called to be a consumer of Christian services. Not, scripture never reveals the concept that believers are then called to be consumers of Christian goods and services. Like, like this isn't a depot or a, you know, a, a place of, of merchandise where you just come and we ask you to just consume of Christian services and goods and then you just leave. No one is called to do that in Scripture. Actually, Christians are called to be distributors of God's grace to the world in which they live. So because this is kind of unfamiliar language when we talk about gift, what I want to do is walk you through a couple um, lists. In the New Testament, there are two specific places that have actual lists of gifts. Um, now, at this time, it's a good time to make a distinction between what the Bible calls miraculous abilities and then the gifts. The best way that I understand Scripture to teach us is that the miraculous abilities were given for a period of time in the New Testament while they didn't have the verifiable word of God to, to solidify the teaching of the gospel. And so people were given abilities like speaking in tongues, which just means to walk into a place where a language is spoken that you don't speak and immediately have the ability to speak in that tongue. It, um, 1 Corinthians 14 says all tongues actually have purpose to them, so, so, and they have a real distinction of a language. Uh, there's gifts like miracles. First century Christians were able to, some were able to uh, perform miracles. And all of this was done, as Jesus said, to verify, to verify the gospel. Well, now that we have a verified word before us, we believe that those gifts have passed away or ceased. But God has left us with a host of gifts. Now, Romans 12 is one place that you can find this list. I'm going to just go through a few of them quickly because you're going to see some interesting things about them. Uh, Romans 12, let me give you the exact verses so you can look at this list later. Let's see. Yeah, it's down in verse, um, starting about verse, verse 4 to verse 8. Here's a couple of them in Romans 12. The gift of exhortation. Doesn't sound like a gift, right? It just sounds kind of like something you ought to do, but Paul says that's a gift. This means to come alongside somebody and encourage them to be what God wants them to be. That's what it means to exhort somebody. And some people have that gift to come alongside somebody else and encourage them to be what God wants them to be. That's a gift. Giving is actually a gift. This means to share liberally with what you have in a cheerful way so that the grace of God extends to people that don't have it just yet. 
There's the gift of leadership. That means to stand before the body of Christ with care and diligence and call upon the believers to be what God wants them to be and to pursue God's mission. So that's a person that's able to stand in front of the whole body and do this. Mercy is a gift, the gift of mercy. Uh, Sometimes these are called mercy ministries. And this is a person who is alert and very sensitive to the suffering of other people and they identify the true need that that person needs. So it's not just um, understanding that a person is without food or without a shelter, but it's also seeing the hurts of a person who are, is needing the love and grace and forgiveness of God. That's what it means to uh, have the gift of mercy. Service is one. This means to identify undone tasks, however menial and small they are, and use your resources to get that job done. That's the gift of service. And then there's the gift of teaching. That gift is the ability to instruct others in God's word in a systematic way so as to cause people to understand it, but then also grow from it. Um, so, so the ability just to read something is not the ability to teach. The ability to teach is a way to explain God's word so that people understand and they grow. Now, the other place that we see gifts is 1 Corinthians 12. So Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. Let me just read you a couple more of these. Um, There's the gift of administration. This one means to steer the body towards God's goals by planning, organizing, and supervising. There's the gift of small a apostleship, um, which uh, which is probably better understood in our culture to be the gift of being a missionary. Um... You know, the capital A apostle were the 12 and the 13 men that were called by God to be eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they went out and they planted the seeds and and built the church. But then that small A, the word apostle just means a person who is sent. And we use the word missionary today. But that gift is is someone who is able to be sent into new territory, unchartered territory, where the gospel is not reached and preach the gospel to a new place. Um, Paul was really uh, not, not only a capital A apostle, but he was very, very good at this. Some apostles stayed back in Jerusalem and worked with the church there, but Paul was one that went out. He was sent as a missionary, and he would go and he would establish churches sometimes for months, sometimes for about a year and a half he would stay with them. And once they were established, Paul then moved on to a new place. He was very, very good at that. And some people are very, very uh, skilled and gifted in that area. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12 talks about discernment, the ability to distinguish between truth and error. Some people are very, very astute at that. And then he uses the word, the gift of faith, right? It's kind of interesting, right? The gift of faith. When you dig into this a little bit, what it means is to be firmly persuaded in God's promises and his power to accomplish his will. And what they're referring to here is not that, you know, some people in this body need to have faith, but not all of us need to have faith. What they're talking about is that there's some people that are gifted with the ability just to see God's promises and His power and come alongside being part of the body to encourage those to have faith, to not lose sight of that. Now, this is just a short list. I want to um, say a couple of things about this. Number one, did you notice that they're not very specific? Did you know They're kind of general, right? Things like leadership or mercy or service or giving or faith are, are kind of general. Um, that means that When we talk about spiritual gifts, it's not like God custom tailors this specific gift that no one else in the world has ever even heard of and then gives it to us. These gifts have a very generic nature to them. 
But the other thing that's interesting about these gifts is that they're not exclusive. Um, if you looked at this list, you could argue that every single thing on this list you and I should participate in, whether it's the gift of evangelism or teaching, ministry, mercy, discernment, faith, those things, you and I all should be growing in those abilities. But some of us are stronger in some and weaker in the other. That's why the scriptures reveal to us, especially in 1 Corinthians 12, that the church is a body that has makeup of different of these. So the next thing is then, how are these distributed, right? If you go back and look in 1 Peter, um, how are these gifts given? Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 4.10, as each one has received a gift, then use it. Now look down at the end of verse 10. As good stewards of God's varied grace or gift. Two, two really important points about how this is distributed. The first thing Peter says is that everyone has received a gift. So if you've been hanging around here for a little while, a few months, you've probably heard us kind of beating on this drum. And if you're getting tired of this drum being beaten, sorry, but we're going to continue to beat it, that we believe deeply that if you are a Christian, you have been gifted by God to be a conduit of grace in your world. That, that you have gifts to be able to be participating in the ministry of God. Ephesians 4, we've referenced it several times where the analogy is used that Jesus being a conquering victor went into a place of his enemy, death, and overcame that. And, and as he led us in victory over his conquering, he came back to us and it says that, that the conquering king, the commander, then distributes gifts to us. Jesus certainly has done that to us upon raising from the dead. Um, but I would say this about the gifts, that everyone has a gift. Um, but most often, it's a combination of these gifts. So as we look through that list, and I'll share that list with you. You can read in the scripture that list. Most often, people have a, a unique matrix or a combination of these gifts. But everybody has a set of gifts to be used in ministry. Now, the second thing that he says at the end of verse 10 is that it's varied. You know, he says God, we should be good stewards of God's varied grace. Over in 1 Corinthians 12, where we were before, Paul said it this way, there are a variety of gifts, but just the same spirit. There's all kinds of different gifts. And so the church is a body with different parts doing different things for the sole purpose of building up the body in the strength and the love of God so that we might be uh, people who carry out the mission of God here on earth. So the, when it comes to the distribution of these gifts, number one, everybody has one. Number two, it's varied in how it's given. So we're not all the same. To the glory of God, we can display the manifold wisdom of him by being different. Well, let's talk about kind of the primary question, the development of our gifts. And the primary question that people usually ask when, I, when I'm talking about gifts, and you might be asking tonight is, well, how do I know what my gifts are? I, I just heard you read a list of them, right? Do I just get to pick like the three or four that I like? And go practice them? Is there a book that I can buy that tells me what to do and how to use those gifts? How, how do I know what my gifts are? Now, surprisingly, Scripture actually says very little about discernment of gifts. But I think it actually teaches us very clearly how to do that. Learning our gifts in our culture since about the mid-80s um, has become this really sophisticated process. Now, has anyone in here ever taken like an aptitude test? You know, like, do you like to build birdhouses? Why is there fuzz on tennis balls? And you start answering all these questions. And you're like, what does this mean? And then it says, you should be, uh, you know, an electrical engineer. Like, okay. Those are aptitude tests, right? 
And so uh, these really smart Christians were also counselors, psychologists, about the 70s and mid-80s started to build aptitude tests for believers to sit down and answer 641 questions, you know, like, do you like to build birdhouses? And uh, do you think Hallmark cards are pretty? And, you know, they start answering all these questions. And then you, it goes into this computer and it spits out. It's like, hey, you are gifted in these areas. And kind of a pie chart shoots out. And you look at it and you're like, oh, this is where I'm gifted. Okay. I'm not going to say that those are bad. Um, I, I just would caution you. Uh, uh, you know, I don't know if you can build, I don't know if you can code a website or build a, a system that can discern spiritual gifts as much as maybe what the scripture reveals to us. Probably the best way that I have ever come across um, a simple explanation on how to really begin to discern where you're drawn to, like what your strengths are, what your gifts are, to minister to God's grace comes in three questions. So um, if you have paper, you might want to write these down, or I'm happy to give these to you later. If you really want to start thinking about where you're gifted, question one has to do with your affinity. If you closed your eyes, or maybe had a blank piece of paper, and you were looking across all the needs of this church, all the areas of ministry, from teaching Bible class to four-year-olds, to working for the crew for Christ, to working um, in mission trips. If you saw all these ministries and you had nothing to do for a week, what do you naturally gravitate towards? What human needs draw on your heart the most? That, that's question one. Like, like, what are you drawn to the most? What do you gravitate towards when you see human need? Do you um, sit with people and wish that you could teach them more information about God? Do you sit with people and want to just empathize with them? Do you see a need and just want to do it and don't really want to talk about it? Like, like what do you gravitate towards when you see needs? That's the affinity. Now, you can't leave that one all by itself because you'll just, you know, our feelings are fickle, so we'll just be all over the place. That's question one. What do you gravitate towards? Question two has to do with your ability. And that's where you ask yourself, well, what am I actually kind of good at? And even a better question is not just what am I good at, because sometimes we lie to ourselves. Unfortunately, the answer is not everything, by the way. A better question is, what do people say that I'm most effective in? What feedback do I get from my community of people that they say, hey, I really appreciate the way you do this, and, and you're really effective in this, and, and the way that you've done this, it's really been helpful. So question one, what human needs do I gravitate towards that really stir me up? Question two is, what people in my community like, like, what feedback am I getting? If you really think you might be good at this thing, but you're not getting any feedback about it, maybe there's another area you should try. Question three is this. So you got affinity, what are you drawn to? Ability, what feedback do you get that you're effective in? Number three, opportunity. What doors are open to you right now? What's really in front of you? Um, what doors are available for me to serve? And to discern this, I encourage you to do two things. One is... Look up to God and pray. God, where do you want me to serve? Submit yourself and humble yourself to him. Where can I serve? And the second thing I would encourage you to do is ask somebody. Where are their needs? Stop by one of our elders' meetings, knock on the door and say, hey, um, I'm really wanting to engage and get involved in ministry. Hey, what should I do? I guarantee these guys would love to hear from you. Okay, so, so affinity, what am I drawn to? Ability. What feedback do I get that I'm actually kind of effective in? Opportunity. What needs are there? And we can see what Peter has to say about developing our gifts. He's really simple, isn't it? It's really interesting. Look what he says in the middle of this. 
As each one has received a gift, ESV says it this way, use it. <laughs> use it. Use it to serve. He says, use it to serve one another. Now that word use literally means to kick up dust because you're on the move. That's what it means. That you are kicking up dust because you're on the move. Do something. Here's what I would say. Try a lot of things. Do something. Get your hands busy doing something. Try a lot of things. Get involved. Serve. Right now, plug holes where you find there to be holes in the needs of the church. Just, it doesn't matter, like, like, you know, what you feel about it, what you think. Just get involved and do something. Don't be overly concerned with, am I fulfilled in this? The key question, Peter says, is am I serving somebody? Um, so often we use ministry for self-fulfillment, not radical self-giving. And the unfortunate thing with self-fulfillment is that you never can, of your own self, fill yourself. You can't do it. You'll be limited. Serving is not a means by which you fulfill yourself. Serving is a means by which you give of yourself. My cup runs over. So don't be overly concerned with, am I fulfilled in doing this? Or is this my divine calling? Just ask yourself, am I really helping? Am I serving? And where can somebody be served and get busy doing that? Also, don't be overly concerned with, like I said, is this my true calling? Because I would caution you with this. You probably won't know your full set of gifts until you begin to try. Um, you got to experience where God blesses some areas of ministry. and you got to experience where you're not getting much feedback and maybe things aren't going as well and you have some friction and some frustration and maybe, hey, I've tried this and now I know maybe that's not my strength. I'm not getting a lot of good feedback there, but I'm doing this and this is going well. And you also may have latent gifts that you would never know about. If all you do is, is gravitate towards just things that you like and just do things that you like, you might have this whole host of gifts that you don't know about that you've never tried to use before. That's why all three of those questions I posed to you just a moment ago have to be held together. Not just what do I like to do or what am I good at, but where are their needs? All three of those have to be held together because we might miss a full gift set that we are. All right, let me finish with this. It's two really important distinctions about gifts in ministry. First of all, spiritual gifts have to be distinguished from spiritual fruit. Spiritual gifts are not spiritual fruit. Fruit is what we are. Galatians 5.22 says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are not spiritual gifts. Like, like I'm not gifted to be self-controlled or gifted to love. Those are spiritual fruit. And all of us, fruit is what we are, gifts are what we do. All Christians should have the fruit of the Spirit, not just one of them. I point this out a few times, but Galatians does not say fruits of the Spirit. It's not, not a fruits like there's a bunch of different ones. It's the fruit, singular, of the Spirit in your life that you grow in these areas. All of us should have those, um, not mastered or mature or perfect, but growing in them. But not all Christians, but Christians don't have all of the gifts. The list that I've made there, we don't have all of those gifts of the Spirit. Only Christ did. Now here's the danger. The danger is confusing the presence of spiritual gifts as spiritual maturity or spiritual fruit. Those are not the same thing. And the challenge sometimes is that we honor spiritual gifts and we don't honor spiritual fruit. 
So as a body of believers here, I want to encourage us to be very thoughtful about this concept. Appreciate people's gifts, whether it's leading, administration, teaching, mercy. Appreciate people's gifts. But we ought to honor people's fruit. Well, you know, we we have to talk more about personal things like growing in love and patience and mercy and those kind of things, discipline, and honor those things. And here's how I would encourage you when it comes to discerning your gifts, because um, as you grow in Christ, you become more familiar with where you're actually gifted. So if you focus on growing in the fruit of the Spirit, clarity about where you're really gifted to serve will come to the surface. You see, when I first became a Christian, um, I'll never forget this. I, I, like I was a mixture of church kid that knew all the church language, um, really, really grieved with guilt over all the kind of behavior that I had participated in, and then a combination of a lot of insecurity. And so all of that mixed together when I first became a Christian led me to think that, you know, and I also personality woven together. I, I lack some inhibition, so I don't mind standing in front of people. And immediately I thought, well, I like to teach, and I like to preach, and I like to uh, lead, and I like to be in charge, and all those things started to come up. But I wasn't really a mature Christian at all. And the more I've grown, the more I've learned some really true things about myself. That the gift of administration is not one of my gifts. I'm actually really terrible at that. The gift of leadership, like strategically stepping back and seeing what we should do for the next 3, 6, 9, 12, 18 months is a big weakness of mine. Um, in youth ministry, I've seen, I've just partnered with Alan and Rachel and, some, and Donovan and some others are coming into youth ministry and they have spiritual gifts and strengths. And you, those of you that are watching are seeing youth ministry grow because um, they're good at certain things, and I'm good at certain things. Do you see that? And as you grow in the fruit of the Spirit, your gifts become way more clear about what you are. Now, the second distinction I have to make is this, that we have to keep distinct, not only that gift and fruit are different things, that we should be maturing in our fruit and using our gifts, but also we've got to keep distinct this, the purpose of our gifts. Gifts are for service, not salvation. To confuse these two things will cause a lot of problem in your Christian walk, in your faith. When we forget the central message of the gospel, that we are justified by the work of Jesus, not our work, when we trust in what He did through belief, repentance, confession, and being immersed into Him, when we say, I trust what He did, I don't trust my work, That's the central message of the gospel. When we forget that, we will be tempted to use our gifts and use our ministry as evidence that God is with us and God is pleased with us. Major problem in the use of our gifts. When we forget the core central message of the gospel that I am saved by the work of Jesus, not my work, and I forget that, I will then use my gifts and my ministry to try to make God pleased with me and give evidence that God is with me and he's blessing me. This puts incredible pressure on us with how we use our gifts. And we'll begin to seek to get from our gifts, whatever they may be, what God is supposed to give us. Do you see how we become poor stewards? When I ask my gifts to give me worth, I'm only valuable because I do certain gifts here at the church. When I ask my gifts to give me identity that I'm Anthony the preacher, not Anthony the believer in Jesus. When I ask my gifts to give me um, meaning, that if I didn't have the opportunity to teach, that I wouldn't be anything. Do you see that? That's dangerous. When gifts become the source of our salvation, we become poor stewards of them because we're trying to get from them what only God is supposed to give us. Mercy, grace, 
purpose, meaning salvation. As Peter said, you look what he says in verse 10. We are to be good stewards of the very grace of God. And if we ask our gifts to be the source of our salvation, we will quickly become poor stewards. This kind of pressure on our gifts to save us will either make us cop out of serving. Oh, I'm not good at that. I can't do it. I just Because the pressure that, that is in it to save me, we get scared of it. We say, I can't do that. Or not just copping out, but we also exalt ourselves in our serving. Our serving becomes more important. Like, I have to be more important than you, and I have to be jealous of gifts. And if I don't have certain gifts, then I get frustrated with that, and I get angry about that. Because I'm asking my gifts to save me. The telltale sign of this, just for diagnosis purposes for your own heart, will be things like impatience. You constantly experience impatience in ministry. Irritability. Always frustrated with the people you're working with. If they would just get out of the way, I could minister better. Does that make sense? That's a telltale sign. Pride. Hurt feelings all the time. Jealousy and boasting. When you start to see those things well up in you, when you're practicing uh, in the church and serving in the church, you might be asking your gifts to save you and not Jesus Christ. Okay? But if our hearts can remember that the gospel is the message of Jesus Christ, the message of grace that saves us because God's first ministry to us, Jesus then can be received as the primary, ultimate gift Settling our hearts in the presence of God so that we can rest in the work of Jesus. And then out of gratitude for what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, we have the liberty and the freedom to say to God, where do you want me to serve? I am so at peace with you. I'm I'm at rest in your presence because I know that I'm accepted in Jesus Christ. Thank you for that. I'm so thankful that you've given me this love and mercy and I want others to have it. Where would you like me to serve, God? And we're wide open not needing a specific gift to make us feel important, but we're wide open to say, where have you really gifted me? And I'm ready to serve. That's how we can steward our gifts well and become the church, as Paul described in Ephesians 4, where every part in the peace and the presence of Jesus does its share, and this body will grow in love. Boy, it's exciting, isn't it? All right, if you need help with that, let's stand and sing. You can come.